to apply it in our lives and help us to um, continue to follow you and trust you and and be guided by you and draw closer to you, Father, and, and to your Son, because we certainly need it in today's world and uh, the rapid uh, negative changes that are happening all around us, Father. We just so very much need your word and your wisdom and your spirit with us to guide us. So we thank you for this. Uh, we ask that you bless us as we study. Uh, bless Sean as he leads us and, and help us all to contribute and share ideas and thoughts as we go through this this study together. We also pray for those that uh, could, couldn't join us today, that they will be safe and and uh, stay warm at home and, and uh, fellowship where they are um, and uh, to enjoy a restful Sabbath day. We just give you thanks now, Father, and we pray all of this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. All right well, right, thank I'm you, Matt. Mr. Sean. Well, welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I'm glad we're able to be able to do this. Uh, today is, of course, uh, part five of our Ephesians Bible study, and it is entitled God's Secret Plan Revealed. And to begin with, if somebody be willing to read the first part, uh, that would be very much appreciated. I could do that. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> Naomi had started a small dressmaking business. The brightly colored fabrics of her part of Africa were popular, not only in the surrounding district, but also, she'd heard, in foreign countries. She employed two women to help with the dressmaking and a young man to travel to the city to buy supplies and sell the finished products. Together, they worked hard and soon they had more orders than they could easily complete. Naomi hired two more helpers. One day, one of the women said, you know, I wonder if we could make other things as well as dresses, curtains, covers for chairs, things like that. The others agreed enthusiastically. Naomi smiled. She went to her desk and took out a sealed envelope, which had a date written across the seal, the day on which she started the business. She passed the envelope to the woman who asked the question. Open it and read it out. She opened the envelope and read the paper. It contained the plan for a larger business that would make the wonderful fabrics into all sorts of things people might want in their homes. I've kept it a secret all this time, said Naomi. I knew if I told you from the start, you'd say I was daydreaming and then you'd have started daydreaming yourselves. We had to prove we could make dresses first, but this is what I planned on all along. Let's do it. Awesome. Thank you, Ken. Okay, so based upon what Ken just read, so what is one dream that you had that came to fruition? Does anybody else like to mention what their dream was that they've had? Should I read mine? Sure. Oh, you can hear that. I can. <laughs> <laughs> that I would quit being so moronic and start truly serving God. To do that, I knew that I would have to get closer to God and begin to better understand his word. That's definitely a good goal for, for all of us to not be in our own human nature. Uh, does anybody else have a dream they'd like to add? This is Renee. I'm on here, but I'm I'm in my pajamas still too, so I'm <laughs> off camera. Um, yesterday was the 14th anniversary of the day that we came home from Oklahoma City with our newly um, implanted embryos in me, and we're really excited about that um, anniversary of that this weekend. And that was my dream that um, I learned a lot about God through that process, and learned that um, sometimes He makes us do the hard things even though it would be easy for him to just wave his hand and make things happen magically, there's so much for us to learn through the process of going through the walk of faith that we have to do in this life. That um, that was mine. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. And what a great blessing God has given you that you both were able to have Benjamin and Joseph. And I know you, you guys went through a lot too. And God he blessed you with them. So thank you for sharing. Does anybody else want to share their dream? 
Well, I just want to mention um, it was a dream for Kim and I to move to Oklahoma. And when the time was right, it was just really cool the way God had set it up that our house sold miraculously. It was basically not even listed on the market yet. And just all the things fell into place to make it possible. And it was in his perfect timing. We had tried to sell it before and it just didn't work out. Uh, it's the way it was supposed to, but in his perfect timing, it, it happened when it was supposed to. Uh, does anybody else want to share? Okay, uh, we'll move on to our first question. And the first one is, can I get somebody actually, first of all, to read Ephesians 3 verses 1 through 13? I can read it. Okay. Thank you, sir. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, uh, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with, with uh, confidence through him, uh, through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Thank you, Matt. I really appreciate you reading that. So to further expand upon that, uh, it says Paul's picture of God in this passage is a bit like the picture of Naomi, the lady that had this, this, the store, the business that she started. So what was God's secret plan? And then we're going to base that upon verses one through six. Does anybody want to mention what God's secret plan is? specifically uh, that God had a plan for the entire world, not just those within Israel, that Israel was uh, the plan for the children of Israel was just kind of a foretaste of what God's plan was for the entire world. So uh, like Naomi, you know, her plan all along was to expand her business into something much greater and larger than just making, you know, those initial products. Um, and so God's plan is in the same way. You know, he started with Israel and through Israel. His plans, his, you know, his greater plan of the entire world was realized. Through Christ, of course. Right. That's a good point, Curtis. Does anybody else want to add to that? Hey, Sean, this is Matt. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, one thought I had, too, is that the, also like Naomi, you know, she had that letter and it was kind of, you know, sealed up, as it were. But but that the the hints of what else was included in the plan were there and we, we see that in scripture as well you know we see the hints that it's fully revealed once jesus came once he established the church once he 
uh, you know, taught the, the apostles and the disciples and so on. But, but there's still hints in scripture, you know, going back that all would, would be saved. Um, and, you know, you have some of the hints like uh, people could, could become part of Israel. And if they did so, then they would, you know, be considered the same as, as any natural born Israelite. Um, and in Solomon's prayer, you know, for the temple, that if anyone comes to this place to seek God, that they be given access. So it's it's almost as though, yes, it's fully revealed, but there is some hints uh, along the way of, of what his plan is going to be. So what you're saying is it was foretold before Christ broke down the barriers. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Does anybody else want to add to this? Okay, well, moving on to our next question. How did he reveal his plan? And this will be from verses two through five. Well, to me, uh, he accomplished it through his Holy Spirit working through his apostles and his prophets. That's good. It needs more depth, but that is all ahead. Right yeah, there. so what I wrote down was very similar. I just wrote down words through Paul, understanding through the Spirit. That's good as well. Uh, what I kind of put in my notes was he did it slowly. It was not all given at once. Like the lady that owned the business, the whole plan was revealed in stages. Well, you know that if he... It just put the whole thing out there uh, all at once. People would have said, no, that never can happen, or they would have just left. You know, uh, people would have felt like uh, it, it wasn't fair. You know, uh, some people really could not see uh, Gentiles being accepted and other people also had hatred for the the Jews. So, you know, it had to be slow. It had to be explained as he did it. So you're saying it was all in God's perfect timing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. That's good. Does anybody else want to say anything more about this one? Okay, we'll move on to uh, number three. What three great privileges did the Gentiles attain together with the Jews in his plan? Referring to verse six. Well, I've got, uh, this is Glenda, uh, I've got privileges of the Gentiles were that both Gentiles and Jews who believed the good news would, number one, share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Number two, both are part of the same body. And number three, both would enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Jesus Christ. Those are all very good points. Does anybody want to add any more? I think mine are very similar to Glenda's. I just put uh, fellow heirs, and they were given comfort as well, he mentions. Comfort in them knowing they're going to be a part of God's family as well. Um, partakers at, of his promise and being, uh, having the gospel revealed to them as well. Yeah, and I kind of just cheated in looking down into uh, verse, was it 11 or 10? Um, no, 12, having boldness to access, right? That's boldness to access the throne room of God, boldness to access the Father, just like we did at the beginning of this study, we prayed and we can do that. We don't need a priest to do it for us. 
um, in that sense, because Christ allows us, even though he is our high priest, to go directly to the Father. There's an, another thing. This is Renee. I was just going to jump in with this part, because for probably half my life, I, I came at the scriptures from the perspective of of being of Israel, because I was raised with this idea of um, you know the British Israelism thing. And I, not to disparage that, but if you look at this from the idea of, hey, I'm a Gentile, and I've been grafted in, and I'm included with that natural body, then it's almost that much more special, I think, because I get to be included because of his sacrifice. And, and I wasn't just a natural, okay, this is the plan. I, was, I wasn't an afterthought. I was a, I'm specifically making a way for you to be part of this. It's not just because of your birth. Accident of birth. An accident of birth. Yeah. It's that I'm making a pathway for you. So, I mean, there's two different ways to look at that. And there's, there's specialness in both of them. But um, as I've adjusted my thinking about that, it, it just um, is enlightening. I think that's a great way to look at it, that he totally just reached right out to us, that he wants us to be in his family. Hi. Does anybody? Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of going with what Renee said a little bit. It's a little off topic, but it just kind of makes me think about how, you know, how important it is that this is a, that God, you know, it's not just something that we're born with. It's, you know, it, you know, God chose us in, in terms of, you know, not because of the blood that we have or, you know, who our parents are, but he chose us because of us. And I just am reminded whenever John the Baptist basically looked at the religious leaders and said, you know, don't don't come at me with this. Abraham's my father. God can raise stones. God can raise you know, errors from these stones. Uh, in other words, what the reason that brings that up to me is just the, the understanding that uh, it, it, it's about a personal, spiritual calling, not about, you know, being heirs based upon our bloodline or who our great, great, great grandparents were, but literally we're heirs because of that one single individual named Jesus Christ who has brought us in and we're grafted in from a spirit, you know, from a spiritual side, which is so much more important and deeper uh, because that's where the everlasting life is, is through that spiritual conversion through Christ. That's a great reminder, Curtis, that he directly is working with us that he reached down and wants us directly to be a part of his family on an individual basis. Okay, can I get somebody to read the next portion? I'll read it. Thank you, Glenda. Fancy hearing the news that a family down the street has come into a large and wealthy inheritance and then being told that you are you are to become full members of that family with instant privileges identical to theirs. That's the situation that Christian Gentiles now found themselves. Okay, so based upon what Glenda just read and going on to number four, how did God accomplish this plan in verse seven? <laughs> And to be more specific, it's asking, uh, based upon chapter 7, verse 7, uh, seven, thank you, of which I came a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So based upon that verse, how did God accomplish this for his plan? What I've got here in my notes is I just put by revealing it to Paul at the appointed time through his Holy Spirit, making him a minister, a servant of the gospel. Does anybody want to add their thoughts? Yeah. 
you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, this can, I'm kind of going a a little ahead. Uh, I think I mentioned this later, but, you know, Paul uh, was, as he put the, the Jews Jew, you know, uh, he, uh, he was, uh, strong in, in, in the church and the Jewish church, you know, and they were pretty much, uh, Well, they were God's chosen people. So it had to be through God working in him and in his heart and speaking to him and, and showing him what he showed him that he would become the outreach to the Gentiles. And what a perfect example from where Paul had been before when he was Saul persecuting and then having this knowledge presented to him. Hey, Sean. I yes. That, I think that uh, kind of what, you know, the way that this question's written, I think that what's being kind of us led to is, you know, where he says, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So it's God's grace by which this plan has been. Achieved. And we know that that is so easy to become a cliche. Oh, you know, God has, you know, God has grace or you know, by the grace of God, we've been saved. But to me, and I know that much of our history, we've, you know, maybe had a little bit of a difference of opinion of what, what, what the meaning of grace is and things like that. But what's interesting is, is that the us heirs that came into this body that came into this family it wasn't like you know you come in and then you have like a, a purgatory period like two years where you have to like become perfect before you become you know true inherit you know, inheritors or heirs to these blessings you know what i mean like it's not you know you are automatically you know become an heir now that that has nothing to do with you know, uh, you know, like like obviously a lot of the, uh, the the churches that we have differences with, where you know that doesn't mean anything to do with like keeping the law or the law's done away with. But you know, it's God's grace. None of us have deserved any of this. That we have been grafted in based upon God's providence, His own glory, His own choosing, uh, and made heirs of His of His plan, uh, and, and it's automatic. And it does. I mean, obviously, true believers are going to grow in the nature and stature of Christ. But that's just something that I kind of looked at as I read this passage and look at that question. It's by God's grace that this that this is being accomplished is how God's accomplishing it. His his nature. That's a good point, Curtis, that it's not. By what we have done, but what he sees in us that he just he gives us his grace and makes it possible for us okay so moving on to number five what does this plan for god's the plan itself the fact that god kept it hidden and then revealed it the way he accomplished it reveal about the character of god does anybody care to comment on that one What I put on mine, just to get things rolling, I put God brings us all into his plan as he sees fit. He's a planner, just like the lady that started her business. She started it out small, but she had a dream to make it big. Uh, just like when he created the world, he every day he did something a little bit different. He didn't do it all at once. He created each thing each day. Each thing was different. It kind of reminds me of Bob Ross. <laughs> painting his paintings uh he starts out you know you can't really tell what he's doing and then he slowly starts to add 
different things to the picture and he'll start putting in some happy trees and different <laughs> things. And you see his complete picture when he's done, but he starts out slowly. And by the end of the picture, you see what he's got. As long as his voice didn't make you fall asleep. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know if this is um, uh, similar to what you're saying there, but one of the things I've just been thinking of now is that uh, th there's almost like a double mystery going on here because um, while on one level Paul is talking about that the, the Gentiles get to have a relationship with God like Israel did, even the relationship with God that Israel had was insufficient for eternal salvation, right? Because uh, what is I was looking it up over here in Hebrews. Um, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, not with the blood of goats and calves, but the, with his own blood, he en entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So even the relationship or the, the, the first plan, the first part of the plan, the dressmaking plan, uh, was insufficient to get to the ultimate goal that God had, not just for Gentiles, but also for Israel. And and so of necessity, we have to we always have to have another covenant. You know, the first covenant was to provide material blessings, physical blessings to bring people to God, to keep Israel as a, a uh, you know, an example to the world. Um, but it always was going to need to be replaced and upgraded with the, the new covenant, which is in Christ Jesus. So it's it's like two mysteries wrapped together. So as he's painting that picture, you know, as you described it, um, you, you don't even you don't even see that he's working on a tree. Oh, he's working on a tree. But then what is the, the larger picture that that tree is set into? It, yeah, that's a good point. It had to. Uh, it, as you say, there had to be another covenant because the first covenant really just showed that we were totally inadequate. We could not be good enough. We could not do enough to be good. We didn't have it in ourselves to be good. Uh, this, to me, showed that God's love was there for everybody from the very beginning. It's always been there. But he knew he had to bring it out carefully, bring us to him carefully and in a way that kept us trying to do it ourselves and ruining it. Um, his love for us is so large and wonderful that he started it out from the very beginning, knowing what he was going to have to do, knowing what was going to be required of Jesus and still loving us enough to have him do that. And still being patient with us, <laughs> even in our uh, yeah. faults and problems, he still works with us and helps us. Did anybody else want to add any comments? I did. Uh, so, Ken, you had previously mentioned the fact that uh, if he had given us the entire plan at the beginning, we would reject it. And actually, that's what I wrote down here for number five, was that he knew that he had to hide it to, to keep it kind of wrapped up. And he used the Israelites to shepherd a portion of it to us and then expounded it after that. Once we were ready, um, knowing that people were going to be like, oh, no, that's not possible. Um, and uh, or and, you know, the Jews kind of did it, too, which I also wrote down here. People are selfish. And I can't remember exactly why I got to that point. But <laughs> I, I want to say that a lot of it had to do with the fact that. You know, the, the, the Jews are like, nope, you, you guys are, are separate from us. You can't be part of this. Um, but that was never part of his plan. The, the plan was always to include everybody. Um, and it wasn't until this time once, you know, that it was like, okay, now it's time to reveal the rest of the plan to everybody so that they can all be, be partakers in that. It's a good point, Brian. And perhaps we'd be overwhelmed if he had given it all at once. Okay, moving on to the next question. So number six, 
what task did God give Paul, referring to verses 8 and 9? And I'm going to go ahead and reread verses 8 and 9. To me whom am less than the less of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God whom created all things through Jesus Christ. So, so what task did God give Paul referring to those verses? The simple task is bring the Gentiles in uh, bring the gospel to the Gentiles and uh, and the Jews to show them uh, that God's plan what God's plan was uh, for them for everyone to be his children how to how he was working it to bring the Gentiles in so that everyone would realize it and accept it. Thank you, Ken. Does anybody else want to add to that? Uh, so I just happened to look it up in the uh, Good News Bible translation, and I, I kind of like the way that verse 8 is read there. It says, I am less than the least of all of God's peoples, yet God gave me this privilege of taking the, the Gentiles, the good news about the infinite riches of Christ. I like how that's written. Uh, and it, it's also a, um, again, it's reinforcing uh, that this is like the deeper mystery, that there's a mystery within a mystery, you know, because um, how does it say? Let me go back over there. Um, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. So it's a further departure from even, you know, uh, having this mindset that the Jews at that time or Israel uh, had all of this knowledge. They didn't. It was even hidden from them. Right. It's talking about that that second covenant that that still had to happen. Um, and I like that. I like that term, you know, I've used recently the, the fellowship of his suffering, you know, that we're in this fellowship of Christ's suffering. But then this is kind of almost cooler because it doesn't involve suffering, which is the fellowship of the mystery, you know, and we're uh, uh, that that I think that plays on human desire to be part of a secret group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. Okay, can somebody read the next part for me, please? Can I do it? Are you talking yes. about the part on seven, the question number seven? Uh, actually, just before seven, between six and seven. Oh, I want to read seven. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'll go ahead and have somebody read the, the part about uh, between six and seven, Renee, and I'll let you answer seven. Okay. Uh, did somebody else want to read that between six and seven? I can read that. Thank you. It says, Paul is the chosen by God to pioneer the plan. In terms of Naomi and her dressmaking business, he hadn't been expecting the localized and family-based company, Israel, to expand like this to reach out to, the, to include non-Jews on equal terms. Okay, so number seven. How does Paul describe God's secret plan, Renee? Uh, about <laughs> <verse 10. laughs> uh, okay well Matt said it he said about the fellowship of the mystery which I just love that because it, it harkens back to that Lord of the Rings and fellowship of the rings and that whole saga of the journey and, and it really is a journey of uncovering bits and pieces of the mystery as we go but the the part that I wanted to read here it says um let's see I, I wrote this part before I read it and then I read it and I was like oh N.T. Wright said the same thing I did. I guess I am onto something. But the, church, the, the, the fact that the church is meant by God to make known his wisdom to the principalities of the world, I mean, that's huge. And I until doing this study, I had never really seen that before. And the way N.T. Wright says it here, the heart of the present passage is verse 10, which is one of the New Testament's most powerful statements of the reason for the church's existence. 
The rulers and authorities must be confronted with God's wisdom in all its rich variety. And this is to happen through the church. Not, we should quickly add, through what the church says, though that is vital as well, rather through what the church is, namely the community in which men, women, and children of every race, color, social and cultural background come together in glad worship of the one true God. It is precisely this many-sided, many-colored, many-splendored identity of the church that makes the point. God's wisdom, Paul is saying, is that is like that too, like a many-faceted diamond which twinkles and sparkles with all the colors in the rainbow. The rulers and authorities, however, both the earthly authorities and their shadowy heavenly counterparts, always tend to create societies and social structures in their own flat, boring image, monochrome, uniform, and one-dimensional. Worse, they tend to marginalize or kill people or groups who don't fit that narrow their narrow band of acceptability. The church is to be, by the very fact of its existence, a warning to them that their time is up and an announcement to the world that there is a different way to be human. And are we not just seeing that everywhere we look today? That's just so timely. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for reading that. Welcome. Yeah, one of the points I noticed as well um, regarding number seven, uh, when uh, he says, how does Paul describe his secret plan? Um, it's, it's like a proclamation to all, to the church, uh, even to the angels, like they don't even know um, God's plan completely, and it's revealed to them as well at that point. That's something that, that really was brought home to me, was that God was showing, uh, bringing this forth the first time. He hadn't, the only one he talked it over with was his son. The angels, the powers, the principalities, Satan and his angels, they didn't know, you know, uh, the full intent of how this was supposed to work out. And so Paul uh, was was going to explain all this and show it and, and to everybody in the entire creation. Yeah, that really spoke to me as well. Um, so moving on from what Renee read there, to further expand upon that, on number eight, how can your Christian fellowship explore the riches of Christ described by Paul? Based upon the fact that, uh, you know, it's regarding basically everything that she read about, how we're all different and bring things together as a collective body. Yeah, um, it's Matt. I don't know if this is going to make sense, but I mean, this certainly what N.T. Wright is saying there is is really a good springboard. And I, I think, was it two lessons ago, he asked the question to, to make sure that we were being inclusive, right? And that, that we weren't having uh, little cliques and excluding people because of, you know, whatever, Um you know, because they were they were British or something like that. <laughs> the, the the whole idea that, you know, we should um, make sure that we are including everybody in the family uh, of the church and, and the broader community. And yet, you know, it's kind of interesting how that's been twisted by the world. You know, and we have like when you think of the term, well, we need to be inclusive and have diversity. Uh now those terms are are being warped into basically accept everybody as they are and let them continue a life that is not fruitful, not not helpful to them. Um, that is, in fact, the opposite. It's hurtful. And yeah, we're all supposed to be accepting of one another in Christ Jesus, but not accepting of wrong behaviors that are destructive and, and hurtful to ourselves or, or the community. Um, and so we're, I feel like our church, 
uh, any Christian church that's truly trying to follow God and, and his word um, is going to come into more and more conflict with the world. I think, was it you were telling me, Renee, um, that thing in Australia? It was going to be it's going to become illegal to even tell people that there's a alternate way of living yeah, if yeah, yeah. they are, are of a particular sexual persuasion or uh, gender identity. It's if this bill passes, it's going to be literally illegal for you to even say, you know, you could through, you know, God's grace and through working with the church, you could give up those that lifestyle, even if they wanted to. So even if they came to your church and said, please help me, my life's not working. I want to be, I want to be what I was born to be, you know, originally in the beginning. They're now making it illegal to answer those questions. Um, I, I don't know if that was <laughs> jumping off topic there, but I think we're just going to see uh, more of a challenge between how we're supposed to be as Christians in, in, in the world. No, I think that's a good point because it becomes more challenging as the world comes further and further away from God's truth. We are going to see that more and it is going to affect us. Yeah. And that, that's the, the big thing. They want, they want uh, everybody to be accepting of them. They are absolutely not accepting accepting of our faith of, of our way of life they want to destroy that you know so uh it, the uh, fallacy of that if you want you know we want you to be accepting but we don't have to be accepting it just doesn't work right and the way it's supposed to be is kind of like on the loom when they're putting together a tapestry or such i mean each of us are different and uh, the point is, is we come together having unique, uniquely different walks of life and we're different and we're supposed to have God's grace to work with each other and help each other. You know, iron sharpens iron. And if somebody's having a problem, you know, we work together and, you know, that's how it's supposed to be as far as working and being together, if not accepting somebody for uh, they're, they're, they're bad things that are doing and that they come to Christ and they change, but we help them. Does anybody else want to add to this? Okay, so we're going to move on to number nine. What does it mean to approach God with confidence and assurance? Can I get somebody to read verses uh, 11 and 12 again? to get a background of what we had read before, but uh, just to refresh our memory on 11 and 12. I will. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> According to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Okay, so based upon that, uh, those two scriptures, what does it mean to approach God with confidence and assurance? If we believe God, uh, we know that Jesus paid the price, that it's, it's done. And uh, so Anything we're told time and again, whatsoever we ask in his name, his father will give us because he's seeing us through Jesus. That's how we became part by repentance, prayer, baptism, laying on of hands. And the spirit coming into us made us a part of that family. Uh, so, you know, the, the first thing we should realize is that, that Jesus paid the price of our salvation. That alone should give us the confidence 
to come to God and ask whatever we need. He tells us that a lot. Yeah, definitely Christ paved the way for us. Did anybody else want to add to this? Uh, I think it goes back to Hebrews 10, uh, 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So that's the, another way of saying having that confidence mm -hmm. uh, that, that we have been given access, that we can always have access. And there isn't a time when we cannot go to the Father, even though maybe we don't necessarily feel great or feel like we're worthy. You know, we can still have that boldness because of what Christ did for us. Amen. And the fact that he wants us to come to him, uh, praying and asking for the help of our brethren as well, because we love them and we want us also to, excuse me, to succeed. And uh, he's given us that grace to be able to come before him because of what Christ did for us. Any other comments on this? Okay, we'll move on to number 11. Actually, we're going to move on to number 10. So how can these two characteristics change the prayer life of your Christian community? You know, one thing I mentioned was that we pray for one another, asking for help, like David just fell down yesterday and broke his shoulder. And I'm just very thankful that it was just a fracture. Uh, there was answered prayer there that he's not going to have to have surgery. And with Brian falling the other day, and he's a little sore, but it could have been worse. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we'll go ahead and move on to number 11. What does Paul describe his sufferings as his reader? Excuse me. What does Paul describe his sufferings as his readers? Glory. Uh, read verse 13, if somebody could do that for me. I can read it. Thank you, sir. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you which is your glory. So what is Paul saying here? Uh, what is he describing? He is saying that, uh, please describe that his suffering to his readers as it's, it's a glory that he suffered. So uh, what does that mean to, to somebody who wants to bring up what they put? think that <clears throat> this is a tough one uh, this is Curtis uh, I kind of contemplate this question as well as this verse I think that you know uh, Paul's telling them don't you know I, therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. And I'm looking at my study Bible, just kind of curious what the what their take is. And it says it interprets this as your benefit or advantage that, you know, it's his tribulations is for the benefit of those who are that he's reaching. And so. I, that's that's you know when I look at it, when I look at you know the the model in which Christ you know Christ's tribulations was for our benefit, our glory. Obviously, Paul's not Christ, but you know I think that when you have that calling that Paul does, that you know you're going to have tribulations, you're going to have sufferings, and so and I, I'm I, I, 
you know, I'm reminded of the early church in Acts, wherever, you know, how they prayed God and thank God that they were able to suffer for his namesake. You know, it's almost like they weren't that they weren't trying to revel in being, you know, per persecuted, you know, uh, but at the same time, they knew that the calling in which, you know, what was bringing them the persecution, the suffering um, was greater than the persecution and suffering itself. So it's, in other words, the, the persecution, the suffering that you have to endure is not to be compared to the glory that God is bestowing on all of us, which is obviously his glory, his plan. That's a good point, Curtis. Uh, this is Matt. Um, I, I think this kind of goes along with what you were saying, Curtis. I mean, it's a weird, it's a weird sentence i feel like um it, you know it says therefore i ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you which is your glory and it, at first i'm reading it like uh it's glorious for them that paul's going through tribulations but but if you look at the word glory it can also mean uh praise um and so is it actually saying, therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart? Because if you don't lose heart, it's to your praise. Right. So the, the not losing heart is is the thing that is going to be their glory. Um, and, you know, if you think about it from a sense of Paul wasn't just writing to Ephesians, he was writing to the whole all of these churches, the circular letter that was going to all of the churches. He was, he was their leader, and so it would be easy for any group of people to get really downhearted to see their leader being persecuted and maybe even eliminated. Um, and so, you know, I think he's, he's trying to say this is, this is going to be praiseworthy of you if you continue in this faith regardless of the persecutions and the tribulations that happened to me. I think that you're right there because that which, if you, it probably depends on the structure of whichever translation you're looking at. But the way the comma is there in the New King James, it says, therefore, I ask you, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, comma, which is your glory. It, so you have to ask, does the which refer back to the tribulations or does it refer back to um, not losing heart? And the way Paul writes, I think it refers back to not losing heart, that we are God is glorified through us when we maintain the faith even in the face of persecution. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all very good points. Uh, I and was having trouble with that one myself. I, and you can, you can take it even further, I think, Sean, because, you know, like I just said earlier, there's this thing going on in Australia and they're a very similar culture to ours and they should be about freedom of expression and freedom of religion. And yet they're not. So it's easy for us to say, Oh man, yeah. You know, for us to get down and for us to lose heart um, when we see the tribulations of, of, you know, potentially others in similar faith to us. So, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, like I said, I was having trouble with this myself. So I kind of looked into it further. I don't remember where I found this, but what I saw was um, he suffered on their behalf and did so honorably. For his faith in Jesus Christ. Is this what I had written down? Mm -hmm. Okay, does anybody else want to add to that one? Okay, we're going to move on to number 12. The fact that Paul is in prison is a sign that the Christian way is indeed posing a decisive threat to the rule of evil in the world. In what specific ways can we as God's people challenge the power of evil today in a way that provokes a reaction? <laughs> I go without a mask into Walmart. I get a reaction from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I put as well. The world is so upside down right now. Um, almost everything is opposed in the world's views. Uh, could be provoking an action like, like not wearing a mask or, you know, whatever else situation is out there right now. I mean, I think having just the mere presence of a 
Christian value is okay. eye raising at this point. So, I mean, just the existing is provoking. Yeah. Or, or yeah. specifically saying that the Bible is God's word, or even meeting together in person. I, there, it's just things that a full 12 months ago we would have thought that that's not going to happen, and we're, we've been living it now. Absolutely. Yeah, and at what point do we, um, you know, this is just, <laughs> I'm not saying anything by this, but just at what point do we do we start to say, uh, no, we're not going to follow that law anymore? Um, we're not, not going to follow that law at all, uh, or that cultural pressure. Um, and, you know, the, the, the early church, uh, I mean, they were absolutely defying laws all over the place about, uh, you know, gathering together or, or not. You know? Yeah, it's definitely bizarro world right now, and it's just the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Hey, you're back. <laughs> they um, left and then they came back. He was playing. I was trying to turn the sound up a little bit. <laughs> On the timing of this, it's, you, you finished right almost right at two o'clock, Mark. Yeah, it's worked out really well. I appreciate everybody's participation. Uh, did anybody want to add any final comments? Well, it's 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 not going to get any better uh, until it gets wonderfully, marvelously better. I believe. Uh, and I still keep praying for repentance of our nation, of our people, of turning to God. Uh, but, you know, his word tells us there'll be a great calling in life before the end. Uh, yeah, our, true. Our deal is the same as it was for Paul and Peter. Uh is that we need to stand up for what God's word says and be a witness against what evil is being practiced. You know, uh, there's just, you know, we, we used to joke, uh, Glenda and I about, about commercials that, that came on, you know, that if, that if her uh, grandmother was still alive, she would, she would not be after seeing that. Uh, you know, uh, and it's, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And we're supposed to, according to them, we're supposed to say, no, that's okay. We accept that. And we can't do that. Yeah, if we're not careful, we're kind of like the frog in the water. As things get worse and worse, uh, we can just think, oh, that's not so bad. But we really have to be on guard. Okay, well, unless anybody wants to add anything more, I just want to tell you all thank you for your participation. I'm very thankful we were able to get together and do this today. I'd like to add one more thing. Yes. I think that somebody on our chat here or on our meeting here has the, uh, is uh, celebrating a birthday today. <laughs> they're, they're very old. I don't know what you mean. Happy birthday, Matt. Happy birthday, thank Matt. You. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Matthew. <laughs> How, How old are we? How old are you? 480. Whoa. That's old. 48. He's 48. He's pretty young. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Curtis and everybody. Well, I'm going to go ahead and close us in prayer if everybody's ready. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. Yeah. You're welcome. Father God, as we come before your throne, I just want to thank you for revealing your plan to us, Father, and how glorious and wonderful you are in creating us and making us a part of your family. And thank you for the diversity of our church that we can come together with our stories and we can help each other and lift each other up and share our examples of how great you are and how you've worked in our lives to just bring us to you and to continue to lift us up and help us. And I just ask that you watch over us and protect us through this week with all the craziness of this weather and that uh, please watch over people and protect them that they don't slip and fall and uh, 
just continue to lift us up and help us through the craziness of this world. Thank you for all you do, great God. Uh, we place all of this in your hands. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. 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 All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Bye. Bye-bye. Happy birthday. Thank you, Brian.